Blog Talk Radio. glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine. Looking forward to seeing you back home here soon, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, good evening, Susan. Well, How are you doing? I am I am so excited I can hardly stand myself. I sent um PDF files of the 11 chapters of the book to the printer today in preparation for getting what I've been calling fake books and what they call bound printed galleys. Mm, cool. The so next exciting. Next step along the way, there's no index. There's still typos. There's still 
things to be done in the book. I want to add some more recipes and things like that. Um, but it's it's time, especially because I want to have um, fake books to take with me to the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, which is going to be the end of May. Oh, yeah, and we'll have Linda yeah. Conroy tell a seminar with her talking about setting up herbal conferences next week, which right. will be really cool. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing a teleseminar with Linda, and she's going to be talking about really the nuts and bolts and the heart and the blood, sweat, and tears of creating an herbal conference. Why? Because herbal conferences are great. They are of such a magical place for people who are focused in on the plants to get together. And there's just such a special air to herbal conferences. They're not like any other conference I've ever been to. Yes, I would like to explore the herbal conference uh, realm a little bit more coming up in the, in some, in the next few years. But I haven't yes. been to so many of them. Eagle Song is quite thrilled that her herbal conference there in the Pacific Northwest is taking off. She's got uh, almost enough pre-registrants to run the whole conference. So, wow. And just, of course, Karina Woods, huge Southeast Women's Herbal Conference, and Pam Montgomery, who does Green Nations now and then, and all the wonderful women at the Northeast Women's Herbal Conference, just so many women's herbal conferences, as well as other regular herbal conferences, like I'm going to be at Botanicals on the Beach this year. Mm. One of my favorite conferences, and it's one of my favorite conferences because it's run by Jay at Tree Farm, and Tree Farm is a taping company or an audio company. He has spent his life basically going to conferences and recording the speakers. Can you imagine that as a job? And when yeah, and I remember him saying he's been to so many that he decided to make his own so he could have the best presenters there that he enjoyed seeing the most. So <laughs> somebody with exactly. lots of experience. When he, when he mm-hmm. quote, unquote, retired, he said, I'm going to have my own conference where I could just invite the people that I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. So cool. And it's in a beautiful place. Oh, just gorgeous. And, of course, Mr. Seaweed mm-hmm. Ryan is there, and I'm hanging out a bit with the other Mr. Seaweed, Larch Hansen. So that's a lot of fun. He's become a reader of the book and is making some very pissy comments about things. So really, <laughs> in, he, he, he does Maine Coast Seaweed, Larch Hansen. So many people are yeah, aware. Yeah, I, I actually met really him after you mentioned him, and um, I didn't realize that he uh, he was like hearing impaired, so he would, he's not somebody that can be on the radio. But he uh, said that he was enjoying supporting you in the other way. So yes, of reading it's your book. It's been mm-hmm. a lively conversation between us. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Ah. And what else? The leeks, the wild leeks, the ramps are poking up. The bloodroot is blooming. This coming weekend is the first work exchange weekend, as well as assorted holidays. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And then the last weekend of the month are the first classes. 
Spring Tonics on Saturday, and Woodland Wonders on Sunday. So that's Saturday the 27th is Spring Tonics. We'll be doing some hands-on work. And then on Sunday the 28th, we're going to go traipsing around in the woods and see what special kinds of things we can find. There are lots of special and rare plants that grow in my woods. Perhaps we'll see some mayapple in bloom. Perhaps we'll see um, some gay wings. I'm pretty sure that the dwarf ginseng will be in bloom. Perhaps the coptis. Uh, the pipsisawa might be. So many of those early spring, northeastern, deciduous forest plants that are native to the area bloom only in a very short period between when the weather warms up enough and when there's too many leaves for the sun to get all the way down to them. So we're going to see if we can mm-hmm. catch that little window of opportunity on Sunday and go out and enjoy some exciting spring flowers and wander around and be in the woods. And that's all good, good, good. What have you been doing? Um, I was, I've been making some medicine and uh, I spent the last, several days with my boys, just me and them, but uh, my partner got back last night. He was out visiting his mother, dealing with some cancer treatment stuff, and um, yeah, so we've just been doing lots of family kind of stuff, but uh, getting out as much as I can and making medicine and stuff, so. And thank you for the beautiful medicine that you sent me. Not only are the medicines themselves incredibly (laughs) well-made, they're very nicely packaged and 10 stars for shipability. Not a thing was cracked or jostled or jarred at all in the shipping. Well done. Well done in every respect. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that you like everything. And, uh, yeah, if anybody, I have some new stuff up on my Etsy page, too. If uh, people haven't been there before or are interested, you can go to uh what is it? <laughs> Etsy.com backslash shop backslash nourish wholeness. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Dot com backslash. And, uh, yeah, lots of stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Etsy.com backslash shop backslash nourish wholeness. So, ah, um, yeah, yeah, lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff coming up. I just uh, found some turkey tails in the woods I'm making medicine out of right now. I don't have that up in my shop yet, but um, that's oh, kind of an exciting turkey tails in the woods here. It's been raining, 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 and the turkey tails are just exploding everywhere in a gorgeous array of colors. Yeah, they're so amazing. So I'm just excited to start working with that medicine again. And um, What's your yeah. fa- what favorite uh, way of preparing them? Um, this time I am going to, I'm doing an alcohol extraction with them and then I'm going to do a decoction with the ones that are soaking in the, in the alcohol and then I'll mix those two together. So you're going to macerate the turkey tail in your alcohol for six weeks and then take them out and cover them with water and boil that down, reduce it by half. Mhm. Or even more. Yes. Mhm. And then mix the alcohol and the water. So are you going to use grain alcohol? Are you going to use a vodka? 
I'm using 100 proof vodka. I know a lot of people do it with a higher percentage. Um, yeah, do you, do you use 100 proof vodka for the turkey tails? Yes, because mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter that you're that it's not a one to one anymore when you add the water. Mhm. Mm so what we usually make is a one to one tincture. In other words, one part herb to one part alcohol. If you were to dump out your jar and weigh the herb and weigh the alcohol, they would weigh about the same. Mm -hmm. So when you yeah, add I that, was thinking about add that water, then you move. You know, you move it to more like a one to two, but that's okay. You can take a larger dose, or maybe you don't even need to. Maybe because you're getting. You're getting what? You're getting different constituents from the tincture than you are from the decoction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about um, maybe cooking them even first and then putting them in the alcohol just to see if they would, what kind of medicine that that would extract. But then I was like, I don't know, because then it's like so much water getting in the mushroom and, Yeah. Um, well, you know, but just experiment. Experiment, exactly. That's one of the great things about herbal medicine. It's hard to do it really wrong. Yeah. Although yeah, it just that, seems like they would. That time of the year when the alcohol is coming up, and I cannot walk past skunk cabbage without smiling, remembering my novice self reading Yule Gibbons, who said, "If you cook skunk cabbage the right way, it's edible." Oh my gosh! Well, maybe he meant outdoors because we sure did stink up our house trying to cook skunk cabbage. Oh yuck! There's <laughs> a reason it's called skunk cabbage. Yeah, yeah, it's super stinky. <laughs> uh, I, uh, that's when I first formulated the idea that there was a different difference between edible and um, something you would actually want to eat. There are a great many things that are edible, but you probably wouldn't want to eat them. Mm -hmm. Like skunk cabbage. Yeah, yeah. But there are tons of, and another medicine that I'm just loving working with right now, of course, is dandelion. I mean, every year. But right now, I just feel so drawn to dandelion. It's like, I just want to make everything out of dandelion. It's uh, uh, it's just so bright and just like, it's making me happy every time I see it. So. <laughs> uh, and several people sent yeah. me, apparently, there's some big study that was just done showing that dandelion is very strongly anti-cancer. Mhm. Mm yeah, I read some. I read an article on that a while ago. Mhm. Mm have so, to find uh, that again. Yeah. So people have been saying, "Hey, look at this." Ah. And let's see. We have. Speaking of spring, we have somebody who is greening an unusual area. Lucinda Herring works at the cutting edge of the green funeral movement, beginning with others in the 1990s. She began to focus in on how we care for our loved ones after they die. I am so looking forward to talking to Lucinda Herring. She'll be with us at 9 o'clock, people. Uh, often look at me and wrinkle their eyebrows when I say, well, my mother wanted to be cremated, and if I had a do-over, I would argue with her and say, no, I didn't want that. But I didn't know that I didn't want that until it happened. 
Mhm. Yeah. Do you have a plan for what you want when you, when you when you cross over, Susan? Mm-hmm. No, but I'm going to ask some people when we go up for Marie Summerwood's memorial service because I know she had a green burial. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so interested to hear what Lucinda has to say because it's something that I mean, it's something that I think that I would want. So, yeah, it's so interesting and timely. And she was able to get it together quite on the spur of the moment, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She it's knows not all like the right she had three years to... of planning, you know, to right. to get her green funeral. The laws and the, the things that made it accessible and available in our state in New York State are already in place, apparently. And I think also in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Oregon's one of the leading places, I think, for green funerals. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you don't even know what we're talking about with green funerals, all the more reason to come back at nine o'clock or stay tuned until Lucinda hearing gets here. It's a really interesting topic. Well, we have quite a few people with their hands raised and a lot more people on the line. So if you have a question for Susan, make sure to press one to ask your question. And are we ready to take the first caller, Susan? Yes, we are. Thank you for asking, Rebecca. All right. Um, let's see. For some reason, it's not letting me see the <laughs> the area code. So I'm going to tell you your prefix is 288. Hi, Susan. Hello. Um, so I, like Hartley, have been having a lot of pain this past week from endometriosis. And I've had it already for a while, and I've been working with an acupuncturist, and she's been giving me herbs and helped somewhat, but right now it doesn't seem like anything's helping me. And she was telling me a lot about you, and I've been drinking the herbal infusions, and I'm wondering if there's anything I can call as my ally to help me deal with the discomfort of the endometriosis. So if I'm understanding correctly, you have endometrial tissue growing outside your uterus. Do you know where? Um, well, good question. I, From what I understood, it's the lower part, lower abdomen, I think uterus area. But I did have a while back ovarian cysts. And when I did have it, like, removed surgically, they said they were blood-filled cysts, and that's how they kind of led me to the idea of the whole endometriosis um, situation. I don't know if this information is helpful. I don't feel I have a full understanding myself what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, to me, that's a really important medicine story medicine is to really get a very clear understanding of what's going on in your body so that you can change it. Okay. It's kind of like if you're trying to button up a dress at button in the back and you had to do it behind your back, but you had never seen buttons or buttonholes or, or, or that before, it would be very difficult to do. 
So I was talking to somebody the other day and saying that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross put a, a very big store by visualization, by really being able to to visualize what's happening in your body if you want to change what's happening in your body, which it sounds like you do. So endometriosis basically refers to a condition in which endometrial tissue is growing not just where it's supposed to grow, which is the inside of the uterus, but outside the uterus. And it can grow on the outside of the uterus. It can grow in and on the ovaries and the egg tubes. And it can grow on the bladder and it can grow on the intestines. And it can actually grow on the abdominal fascia on the wall of the of the abdomen. Um, it can cycle just like the other endometrial tissue does. So when you're coming to the part of your menstrual cycle where the endometrium is thickening and engorging with blood in preparation for a possible fertilized egg, the endometrial tissue that isn't in your endometrium does the same thing, causing pressure and pain. Okay. The most obvious and immediate way to deal with this is to take birth control pills. So I, like, you know, in the beginning when I um, first went to the doctor, he put me on it, and I was on it for three months, but um, he took me off because the I had a reaction of like one-sided severe headaches and it was one of the things that he is afraid of as being a stroke um, symptom. That's something that he told me. So he took me off and that's where I was left at, like, you know, just kind of figuring out what to do. One of the things that I know about health is that the more involved we are with our own health, the healthier we can be. Okay. Our culture basically teaches us to see the medical professional as mommy, daddy, God. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is that no one can put us on any kind of drug. He suggested. Right. You're, yeah, he suggested, that. he suggested, yeah. Uh, you, you yourself actually took it, right? Yeah, correct. And he said, I don't want you to take it anymore, and I'm not going to give you a prescription for it. And you right. didn't say, I really want to take this drug. Well, I wasn't so I, I'm not blaming you in any way yeah. at all. I'm simply giving you your power by saying mm-hmm. that he didn't put you on or take you off a drug. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. He, it's not even a correction. It's an empowerment that he mm-hmm. said, like I'm saying, birth control pills can be very mm-hmm. helpful in this kind of situation, mm-hmm. then you took, you decided that you would do that. It was your free will decision. Mm-hmm. And perhaps what you're saying is that you didn't research it in any way at all. You just took this person's word for it. What said it is... Um... And so, once again, what I'm advocating is that our health is healthier when we do check things out. Had you checked out birth control pills, you would have found that there are a wide variety 
of um, hormonal birth controls available. Mm-hmm. There's a wide variety of birth control pills available. I think there's probably 10 or 12 different kinds of birth control pills available. If, in fact, you were getting pain relief from taking birth control pills, but you were getting headaches, then, well, gee, if you were taking a drug to lower your blood pressure, the doctor wouldn't take you off of it. The doctor would try a different one. Or if you were taking a drug um, because you were depressed and the drug didn't help, the doctor wouldn't take you off of it. The doctor would give you a different one. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, why it is that the doctor didn't offer you a different hormonal birth control and and if you were getting good results from it, why it is that you didn't say, hey, I'm getting good results. Let's see what else we can do without using this particular birth control pill. For instance, um, a progesterone IUD which is an intrauterine device, exudes a tiny amount of progesterone. And for some women, this can basically put an end to their endometriosis. For other women, it can actually make it a little worse. But what I'm saying is not to suggest one thing over another thing, but simply to say that this, that, Adjusting your hormones, changing your hormones is one of the most effective ways to go. And it's not something that you really can do with herbs. Mm-hmm. Okay. The most natural thing that you can do is get old as fast as you can. <laughs> most endometriosis goes away at menopause. In the same way that Birth control pills help it go away by removing the monthly cycle. Okay. Other than that, because endometriosis pain is from blood, so it's considered a bleeding disorder, even if you don't necessarily bleed heavily, um, Limiting or not using any raw food in your diet can be very helpful. Okay. Motherwort tincture, taken on a daily basis, encourages development of blood vessels in and around the uterus. So not something that would be a good idea for you to use on a daily basis. You could use motherwort as needed when you are in pain, if it relieves your pain. But you wouldn't, for instance, want to take motherwort a couple of times a day to help bring down high blood pressure. Okay. Or walk around with it in your pocket and take it as needed to relieve anxiety. Because those kinds of consistent daily uses can definitely make both endometriosis and fibroids get more blood and therefore be more painful. Do you have anything that works for pain relief? Um, in a natural form, I haven't found 
anything yet. Um, I was like using Motrin and I, um, I'm trying to switch to something that would be a little more natural, you know, on a natural perspective, but, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. for some reason the past two months and I'm not doing anything differently. Like I've, you know, been eating healthier and, and drinking the infusion the last two months, the pain was much less. And then all of a sudden it surged like so intense. I'm not sure what it is that got it to increase the the pain. It may not be anything you did or do. Okay. It could just be natural variation. It's somewhat comforting to think that we could be in charge, but we usually aren't. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind explaining what does it mean, the variation? Like, what is it, like, what do you mean by that? Have you ever been around fruit trees? Yeah. Do fruit trees bear the same amount of fruit every year? No. Difference is quite marked, isn't it? Yeah. Natural variation. Okay. On the lean year, we're not going to go out there and say, and scratch our heads and say, what did I do wrong? Why is it my tree bearing? Mm-hmm. We're going to say, this is the off year. So nature varies. Nature doesn't do things the same all the time. <clears throat> and we can make ourselves a little mm, manic If we think we're supposed to be able to figure out what causes what. Because it's very, very difficult to do. In terms of natural pain relievers, the natural pain reliever, of course, that's getting the most press these days is CBD. CBD, okay. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I heard of CBD oil, mm-hmm. um, and I actually bought, you know, bought some, uh, and I'm, there were so many brands and companies. I I don't, you know, I, I just chose, you know, one. I don't know if there's a specific one that you can recommend, but, um, you know, I've been trying that, so hopefully we'll, I don't, it's just a little, little bit, a little while, so I don't, um I don't think like results happen overnight. Um, I have seen response to CBD be within the hour. Oh, really? Wow. Are you rubbing it on the painful area or taking it internally? I was taking it internally. Mm-hmm. You might need to take more. Okay. It's non-addictive. Okay. In fact, it doesn't even go into any brain areas that have the possibility of eliciting addictive behavior. So it's safe to take as much as you need to get pain relief. And unlike opioids, which tend to irritate the 
nerves that register pain, cannabis seems to strengthen them. So starting out with a high dose is fair because you'll probably go down as you start to, as your body starts to understand it, you'll probably need less. Mm, that's wonderful. And is there a specific brand or any, they're all like sort of in the same bracket? You know, the truth of the matter is that I have not bought any kind of herbal herbal preparation out in the market in so long because mm-hmm. all of my wonderful correspondence course students and past apprentices like Rebecca keep me supplied with things, not to even mention the things that I make for workshops and with the apprentices and so on and so forth. So my guess is that just about anything out there is going to be okay. Okay. And okay. I just saw in the new Consumer Reports that the Consumer Reports says that people are flocking to CBD oil because it's such effective pain relief. And they really want to study it, but it's going to be super expensive. And so they're, I think, crowdsourcing the money to make a consumer report study of CBD oils to answer your question. Okay. Is there a brand that's better than the other brands? Are they all the same? Is what's in the jar what's on the label? Questions that we all want to know and that at this point are not addressed by any law. You can basically say anything you want on the label and put just about anything in the jar. Now, um, this now, CBD oil... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. The herbalists, of course, use poppy or variations on poppy. I remember Julia Tiberclay-Levy saying that the way she got her teething children to go to sleep was she was boil up a poppy head and give them sips of the tea until they fell asleep. We don't have to actually boil up poppy heads if you don't have any poppy heads. There's California poppy, and California poppy is a very mild poppy. It's easy to grow, and lots of people do grow it, and it's tinctured. And California poppy tincture has offered people some non-addicting pain relief. One of my favorite pain relievers is in the mint family, and it's Skullcap. And I don't find that tincture made of dried Skullcap has pain relieving ability, but tincture made of the fresh Skullcap definitely does. Definitely thank you for giving me all these ideas what to try. I was wondering about the CBD oil. Is it okay if I take it on a daily basis, or is it better just when I need it for pain relief? Usually it's used as much as is needed and as often as is needed for pain relief. Okay. But you wouldn't take the Motrin on a daily basis, right? No. So treat these herbs the same way. Okay. Okay. Thanks for calling. Green blessing. Thank you. Thank you so much.
the next caller is coming from the 845 area code, and there are a few 845s, so this one with the pre-six starting in eight. <laughs> Um, is that me? It is you. Oh, hi, Susan. Hi. Hi, this is Debbie, Green Blessings. Thank you, Debbie. I had um, a, a question or two to ask you. Um, one was the last time I spoke to you, um, it was about um, heat intolerance. And um, I looked through my notes, and I wanted to know, which form of burdock root is um, would be the most effective? Uh, this, especially this last summer, I really um, had a hard time with the heat waves, and I thought I should start now to get on top of it so maybe it won't happen. And all winter I've been drinking the herbal infusions. Good for you. Yeah. I'm doing it every night the way you said you do. Good for you. Excellent. You know, I was talking about the class coming up at the end of the month, which is on spring tonics. And there was an old idea, which turns out to have some basis in fact, that during the spring and during the fall, you use tonics to help change your blood vessels. Mm. So... During the summer, there's supposed to be a lot of blood vessel growth out toward the surface of the skin to allow the heat to dissipate out through the skin very easily. Mm-hmm. In the cold weather, those capillaries are supposed to draw in more to the core of the body to keep the heat in the body. People who are heat intolerant can get a jump on this, as you say, by encouraging that blood vessel growth to go out toward the surface of the skin in the spring and to pull in in the fall. And one of the very, very best ways to do that is to expose as much of yourself as you can to the actual ambient air temperature and to the variations thereof. One of the reasons that we become intolerant of heat or intolerant of cold is because we become used to living at an even and unvariable temperature. Right. I often talk about how the goats taught me this because when I first had the goats and the weather started to get cold, I would run to the barn and I would tighten it up and I would make sure that the you know windows were all all had plastic over them and there weren't any chinks or cracks for winds to whistle through and the goats invariably would just tear all of my hard work down mm. and they would not let me put that stuff up until like december oh wow it was really cold and then i noticed that they would grow a deep under coat of fur mm-hmm. and I once I started learning about the capillary bed in the humans I thought oh I wonder if it's a similar thing that long ago that capillary bed came close to the surface in order for us to grow more fur during the cold weather 
And that what causes that to happen is exposure to the changing temperatures. In the fall, exposure to the cold, and in the spring, exposure to the warmth. I took my first mile barefoot walk this morning. How how, how far did you go? A mile. Uh-huh. And so if you were chilly, maybe you wouldn't put on a hat or a coat. You would expose yourself. Is that what you mean? That's like exactly what I mean. Like not covering up? That's exactly what I mean. Mm. Get warm by moving. Mm-hmm. I did that myself today. Good for you. All right. It was beautiful. Yes. I, Lovely day I for I went it. on the farm road, and it was really beautiful. <laughs> and it was a little chilly, so I had a hat and a, and a muffler on. So maybe right. I shouldn't. That, that was the wrong thing to that's do. That's my exact suggestion is don't muffle up. Mm-hmm. Expose yourself to it and let your body know what's happening. Okay. Uh, but then when it when there's and, a heat and wave... And as for burdock, burdock root can be used in almost any way. It can be eaten. You can take burdock root tincture. You can make burdock root, root vinegar and use that with your food. Burdock is a, a lovely lovely herbal medicine because it spans the the gap between food and medicine. What about um, um, burdock road infusions? Certainly. Or is the tincture better? Which is better? <laughs> well, your I high heel shoes or your hiking boots? What's that? Which is better, your high heel shoes or your hiking boots? <laughs> the hiking boots. Unless you happen to go want to go somewhere where you would want to wear <laughs> your high heel shoes to bed. <laughs> so, All right. So, so what? What I can not do a variation of the bird Right. We get different things. From plants, depending on how they're prepared. Oh. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. All right. So it's, again, variation and variety is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask you a, a different question? Mm-hmm. Or, okay. So. Um, I have um, cervical stenosis, and I've been making uh, bone broth and um, comfrey, oat straw, nettle, and red clover infusions, and I vary it each day. But I was wondering if with this particular condition, if I should, uh, and I've read in your books that you take comfrey two or three times a week. Maybe I should uh, like double up on the comfrey and do and alternate the others in between. That's certainly possible. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. How much comfrey I'm drinking really depends on what's going on. 
when I broke my wrist three years ago in Costa Rica, I was drinking Comfrey every day for close to two months. Mm. And I was drinking a cup or two of Comfrey in addition to my other nourishing herbal infusion. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll make two infusions and try having the the comfrey, uh, say, maybe every other day. Yeah. Because then I won't miss the others, too. Exactly. Well, that sounds good. Thanks for asking, and I'm interested to hear what the outcome is. All right, I'll I'll get back to you, Susan, and thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The next caller with the prefix 688. Hi, Susan. Hello. I'm so happy to talk to you. Um, Susan, every time I call you... um, and I'm sorry it's so often, but I have some, always something going on with my health, and thank God everything's okay right now. But I really have always wanted to ask you this more than anything else. It sounds maybe, well, not to it won't sound crazy to you. It does sound crazy to my friends. I go up and take care of somebody's land in the Adirondacks that I really have a very deep love for, and I walk the same woods all the time, and I have I, I can only say it, I've fallen madly in love with this plant, and a couple of the people I hike with have made fun of me for years. They call it witch hobble, or it's going to trip you when you're walking through the woods. And this really interesting thing always happens to me. It never trips me, and I just, I, I, I see it more than I see any other plant from when it's a little tiny chalice to when it's all these different colors, and I think its name is Viburnium, and I just wondered, I mean, I just feel this strong attraction and love for it, and I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and maybe what it what it does, or maybe it's just beautiful. I don't know. It certainly is beautiful, isn't it? Viburnum is, oh, Vi- Viburnum, right? no. is, is an understory plant. It never really gets to be a tree, right? It's more of a shrub. Right. So that the flowers are always pretty much where you can see them. Mm-hmm. But it does for early in the spring, and it's a, a real, oh, gosh, it's a, it's a plant that will grow in rocky areas on mountainsides. It will grow next to waterfalls. It, it's a real, you know, it's a hanger-on. It's going to, like, find a situation where other plants find it tough and say, I'm going to put down roots here. Yep. And people take those qualities that the plant that we see the plant putting out in its environment and say if I ally with the plant perhaps I can have more of those qualities too. Mm. Yep. Perhaps the viburnum will help me to really figure out how to get my roots down in a situation that looks really hard. Okay. I I knew you would you'd see through this somehow because it's 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 really it's it's just a very 
deep, deep draw that I have to it. And I I never ask you about it because I'm always asking you about some health thing. But um, this is very deep and profound, and I appreciate you. Um, just I appreciate you so much. Mm, it's such a beautiful, beautiful plant. Go, go out this spring and and see if you can enjoy the viburnum. It's a magical, magical beauty when it's blooming. And and even just when it's about to break open, which is soon, I put it on my calendar. It yeah. looks like a chalice of some sort. Like it's little. The two sides are just sticking together, and water collects in it. And then it's it is every color of the rainbow when it's fall. I mean, it just never, it never ceases to amaze me. But anyway, thank you for letting me share that with you, Susan. And the qualities that you just mentioned are um, really, uh, it just touched my heart very deeply. So thank you. Green blessings. Good night. To you too. The next color is coming from a private number. Hello. Hi. Hello, Susan. Um, So I had called, I believe, a few weeks ago, and it was regarding my mom, and I couldn't call last week. So I just wanted to continue a little bit. I'm not sure if you remember. I'm sure you have a lot of people. So she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, after that, though, a few, I mean, after the diagnosis, she got her blood work done, and she's been stable on thyroid medication for the last 35 years, and it was the same dose, and now it came back. Her T4 is, like, through the roof, and TSH is really, really suppressed. So the doctor is, like, don't worry about it. Just take the thyroid medication, and she's, like, she feels... Like he's not, like he's not doing due diligence, because she's like, can I? Because he repeated the test for her, but then after that, he's like, there's nothing else we can do. You you can't just give up the medication. Because she was on a really low dose, and he says, you can continue. We'll 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 repeat the test maybe in a couple of months. So she's really worried because. I certainly know more and more people who've gotten off their thyroid medicine, some of them who've been on it for over 20 years. Yes. Working with Fucus Seaweed, F-U-C-U-S, Fucus Seaweed. Uh Uh-huh. Ryan Drum harvests the seaweed and has a lot to say about it. I interviewed him and wrote down everything he said in New Menopausal Years, the Wise Woman Way in my section on thyroid. Yes. In addition, Ryan and I did a teleseminar. Gosh, I guess it's almost two years ago now, but it might still be available. It was a really great teleseminar. Mm-hmm. So I don't agree with the doctor. Mother has to keep taking her thyroid medicine. Of course, it's up to her. Yeah. So if she... she agrees, then she agrees and she does it. No, she doesn't. If she doesn't, you know, what I often ask myself is, if I stop taking this, what will happen? So what will happen? Will she die? No. Mm -hmm. 
it's not lethal if she stops taking her thyroid medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that gives us at least a little ease. Mm-hmm. And if she has the fuca seaweed and the other things that she needs on hand before she stops, then that also okay. So gives her, it's, so that it's not just stopping, right? It's not just I'm going to stop taking medicine. It's that I'm going to use seaweed mm-hmm. to help my thyroid be healthy. Because let's see if I can explain this. Modern medicine. Mm-hmm does not include the creation of health. I completely agree. And that's why the doctor says, well, just keep taking your thyroid medicine because he doesn't see any way for her thyroid to be healthy. Mm-hmm. But we do. We understand that we can nourish and support her thyroid and that it can be healthy. So, um, fuca seaweed, is that um, like food grade or should we get it in a tincture if we can or you have to eat it you can't take it as a tincture and it really tastes like fish okay it's not an okay. easy seaweed to consume oh okay and you need so to how consume, much? and you need to consume fairly large amounts of it okay. not so how cut, but grams so how much would you like say the specific dosages are in the teleseminar that Ryan did with me, I believe, and I know for sure that they're in my book, New Menopausal Here's the Wise Woman Way. Okay, so I'll get the new menopausal, new menopausal years. Yeah, it's just because um, I had actually asked her to take the red clover tincture and burdock tincture, which you, and, and all the, the brew of all the mushrooms, reishi, shiitake, maitake, turkey tail, and then he started saying to her that, you know, you have to stop doing all that because probably that's what did the thyroid because the thyroid's always been so stable. And so then she she was kind of like, I guess, demoralized because of the diagnosis. And she, she came off of all of that, even though I said, I haven't read anywhere for those things to interfere with the thyroid period. So it's just been... Well, you remember that at the very beginning of our conversation, not tonight, but at the beginning of our conversation, that I said that in general I don't do secondhand consultations. And this is why. Because it's a waste of everybody's time. Well, I. It really is to try to get somebody else to take herbs that they are not really involved with isn't fair to them, to yourself, or to the herbs. This is why I prefer to talk directly to the people who are going to be using the herbs. Well, she is using. I, I just don't think she'll be able to call you. That's why I'm calling on her behalf. It's just... She, I don't she do and consultations. I find that if people really want the knowledge, they find a way to call me. People have called me from Australia. They've gotten up at 3 a.m. to call me. Mm-hmm. People have called me in all kinds of situations. I've well, been very, I would have to... I've been 
very generous with you because I think that it's important for all of us to know about these things. And so I do a certain amount of that. But we always come to this wall. And this wall is the wall where she stops taking it because she's not really involved in it. Well, no, she got scared, Susan. That's why. She's not really involved in it. That's why she got scared. I understand I'm not putting anybody down or criticizing anybody at all. I'm saying why it is that I don't do secondhand consultations. It doesn't work out. It doesn't work out well for anybody. Mm-hmm. Wow. Each one of us chooses how we're going to move through our difficulties and how mm-hmm. we're going to create health. Especially mm-hmm. with a parent we want so much to help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes really the best help is support. Mm-hmm. Not suggesting anything at all, but just how can I support you? How can I support your choices? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I just want to say at this point, you're very right. She's she's wanting to do it. That's why she's doing the holy basil. And because I've 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 you know kind of interpreted your other stuff for her, mm-hmm. and the Artemisia, the the sweet Annie. So she is doing. It's just I think it's very hard when you encounter doctors that are not. Uh, part of integrated medicine, and there's a bit of a a blame that goes on, and I'm sure you're aware of it more than us because you're a pioneer in this. So, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult, it's, very difficult mm-hmm. to establish cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so, so yes, the, the the trained professional is going to. Mm-hmm. Blame the things that they don't understand. Exactly. And that makes a lot of sense. It is, however, also why I suggest that people ease their way into things. Mm-hmm. By doing a whole lot of things all at once, mm-hmm. it makes it more likely that you'll wind up doing none of them. I agree. One of the reasons why I say to people, if you're a little unsure and you have a cancer diagnosis, start with the mushrooms. Just start with the mushrooms. Just work with the mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Because they do so much. Mm -hmm. And they integrate so well with any other choice you might make. And once once you're really feeling like, oh, you know, I'm I I know which mushrooms I really want and I'm really understanding what dosage to take and I'm understanding how my body reacts to the tinctures and to the to the powders of them. Um and that could take several weeks. Then mm-hmm. it might be time to add some other herbs. Mm-hmm. Then at that then at that point, if if there is um, something that changes, then we could very possibly say, 
well, gee, the only thing different I've been doing is taking mushrooms. Let me see if I stop taking mushrooms, if it changes what's going on with my thyroid. Mm-hmm. Then we really have a chance of knowing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Instead of throwing all three together, right? Which is what instead kind of, of did. Instead of doing a whole bunch of things at once, exactly. Where, where, well, it's not just three things. I thought you said that she was taking burdock tincture and red clover tincture and tulsi and artemisia and mushrooms. Actually, when he stopped that, I actually said that because she was so um, crestfallen with that, I said, you know, then then do holy basil because you know it's it's so wonderful and it's it's probably gentle so she's kind of eased into it and she herself um has asked for sweet annie because mm. um yeah so that you know it's it's you know so i think she's uh, what should i say she's struggling because you know she's caught in the middle i mean she's elderly and um you know a lot of the times it's not easy to to break away from completely i would say right after like a sudden diagnosis so she she wants to do it and and she's doing the holy basil she's doing the tulsi um i just that's why i i thought i i would run that by you that you know because of this whole thing thyroid throwing her off um and the doctor's words that that stop, but I, I do completely concur. Far with more likely to have a thyroid effect than anything else. Pardon me. The tulsi is far more likely to have a thyroid effect than any other herb. Okay, well she just started that after, so she okay. waited a couple of weeks and then. Now is she it. using the tulsi? Yeah, she just started it actually. It's is just it being tinctured. The tea as a. It's a tincture. Mm-hmm. Tulsi is on the one family, and mint family tinctures are really strong. Yeah, I read that. Yes. So. So um, your idea that it might be mild, I couldn't agree with. Okay. Which isn't to say that it's it's not okay. It's. uh, Let me see if I can put this into words. Mm Mhm. Your mom has a diagnosis of breast cancer. Yes. Whatever she's going to do, mm-hmm. whether it's going to be chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, or some combination of the three, the healthier mm-hmm. she is before she does those things, the healthier mm-hmm. she'll be when they're done. Correct. Is Tulsi going to make her healthier? No. Stinging nettle will. Mm-hmm. Is sweet Annie going to make, make her healthier? No. Yoga class will. Mm-hmm. The yeah, focus uh-huh. right now, the way I see it, mm-hmm. is to nourish and promote as much health as possible, given the very strong likelihood that she is going to choose surgery, chemotherapy, and or radiation. Yeah, I think she's going to probably choose surgery. She's she's on the fence about the other two. Mm-hmm. So 
she's going to choose surgery, but she's on the fence about chemo and radiation mm-hmm. um, because because I've told her that you know they don't necessarily radiation especially you know I've I've read your work so not necessarily a wise option but then again I mean I I can only tell like you said right. so and it's so, individual uh, it's for woman and each pardon. woman's breast cancer pardon me and it and it's individual each woman's yeah. breast cancer is different yeah so Again, what I'm saying, uh, I'm being, mm-hmm. is that I think the focus right now, herbally, is mm-hmm. nourishment. Okay. And that this other stuff is kind of beside the point. Okay. She's not going to take enough Tulsi for it to have an anti-cancer effect or enough Sweet Annie for it to have an anti-cancer effect. Mm-hmm. That. Right. So it, we don't want to use anti-cancer herbs. She's not looking to use the herbs to get rid of her cancer. She's looking to use the herbs to make her healthier and then herbs to help her get through the surgery. And should she choose chemo or radiation, adaptogenic herbs to help her get through those things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But just kind of any herb that has any relationship to cancer, her taking is n- not necessarily going to be useful right now. So my suggestion would be the nourishing herbal infusions mm-hmm. and mushrooms. Okay, in the in the brew, right? Like just mushrooms in any way that she's happy with them. Mushrooms okay. come in powder. Mushroom comes in tinctures. Mushroom come as individual mushroom tinctures, like reishi tincture, shiitake tincture. Mushrooms can be cooked and eaten, like shiitake, regular mm-hmm. mushrooms. Um, mm-hmm. Mushrooms come in tinctures of the myceliums. There's a variety of different products and things. And again, what works for her is not necessarily what's going to work for somebody else. Correct. What, you know, I was talking to somebody and I say, oh, well, you know, there's this mushroom powder and it's actually made from the ground up mushrooms. And um, I know several people who like to just mix it in with some tincture and then spread it on a cookie. And this one particular person tried it. And the report was that was that was really disgusting. And yet everybody else had said, oh, it tastes so that way. So different people, it's okay. However yeah. it works. However, taking mushrooms, to my mind, isn't something that we're just going to do for a month or two. We're not going to just do it because, oh, my gosh, I have a cancer diagnosis and I'm scared. To me, it's a commitment to the mushrooms for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Because once you have a cancer diagnosis, no matter what you choose, you need to watch out for cancer. Absolutely. And and even otherwise. Right? And some of the treatments promote cancer. So, yeah. you know, it pays to, to mess around a bit with the mushrooms and find some way of working with the mushrooms that really fits into your daily life so that mushrooms are just part of your daily life. 
Mm-hmm. By that, I mean your mom's daily life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And okay. So, right. out of this, I guess I'll I can rec- I, I mean I'll tell her about the fucus and the and the mushrooms to stick to it. She, I yeah. guess the the reason why she left it was like I said I I would not you already know it's the doctors. So just to go back, right? There's no interference, not that I could find any, and and no. so. Uh, yeah. The nourishing herbal infusions are food. Yeah, it would, and it so would be like the doctor telling her to stop eating spinach. Yeah, so it's the five years talking about, right? The nettle, the red. Nourishing herbal infusions, correct. Yeah, the linden. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Susan. I think. Green blessings. Good night. Yes, you as well. Thank you. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 250 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi. Uh, This is Anna Jameson. How are you? I am doing well. How about you? Um, I'm kind of in fear. Um, I went for a hearing test, and my left ear has um, a a lot, uh, what do you call it, Um, it has a lot less, a lot more hearing loss than the right, and they believe that that's, that I need to go and see an ENT, because it could mean that there's an issue that's affecting the, the ear mechanism. And then, because I had breast cancer in 2007, then I, I kind of go there with the fear. But they do say that it's extremely rare to, to have um, uh, even the benign uh, neuroma or whatever they call it, the uh, um, benign tumor that can affect the hearing thing um, on the left ear so let me ask you this suppose you go to this specialist mm-hmm. and this specialist says well we have to do a CAT scan oh, they, they were saying an MRI probably but okay so an MRI you up for that um isn't that what I should do? Should? To, to make sure I'm to make okay? Sure or? To make sure what? So the MRI would do what? It would show the structure in that area, uh-huh. whether there is anything serious or not. That's my whether thought. Whether there's a tumor there or not. That, yeah, that would be the worst thing. But yeah. And then what else could there be? Uh, they also said corroding of the neck arteries can cause, like I have um, t- tinnitus on uh-huh. that left side where it's more like a swooshing, a whooshing sound mm-hmm. that I hear, low low volume. Yeah. I'm 61. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so... Suppose they find corrosion of your blood vessels or a tumor. What would you do then? 
if it was benign and it was pressing on things, I guess they would maybe suggest removing it. If I'm not it was asking most, you what they would do. Oh. I'm asking you what you would do. What, is that what you want? Do you want it removed? If it's a tumor, do you want it removed? Um, I'm not a specialist. I don't know what would be best. You are a specialist. You're a specialist in your own body. Nobody is a better specialist than you are about your own body, your own desires, and your own needs. Mm-hmm. You know what's best for you. Whenever yeah. we say that somebody else knows our health better than we do, then we are basically totally throwing our power in the trash, aren't we? Yeah. Well, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and having seen all that the carnage that went on with my family, <clears throat> the women in my family and friends as well, I chose to go the opposite direction and followed things from your book, Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and I went to the Cushy Institute and helped myself that way and just had a lumpectomy and didn't even go and see an oncologist. Part of that was fear, uh, but also part of that was I didn't want to be swayed in in a, a, a direction where I, I saw others go and and suffer and die. Not that everybody does, but... So I do know. I, I didn't. I do yeah, know. I, I do. I do know how many people have said to me, you know, over the fifty years that I've been listening to people, she didn't die of cancer. She died of cancer treatment. Hmm. I believe that. Yes. Yes. So, and um, not. So many people would say that you were extraordinarily brave. Yeah. Twelve years later, knock on wood, I'm still here. There you go. Right. So that's yeah. that's why I'm asking you if what you want to do is have this tumor removed. You want to just have your skull bored into and this tumor removed. If not, then it is pointless to do the MRI. That's what I'm getting at. We go into these tests kind of willy-nilly without ever really asking ourselves, what's the point here? What's the point of this MRI? And if the point is to get information, what information could I get? And what will I do with that information? Mm-hmm. What and, about if it's something And if that your choice me? is, I'm not going to have my skull drilled into, I am not going to have corroded blood vessels, you know, uh, worked on, um, I am going to make myself healthier, then what I usually say is you don't need an MRI to make yourself healthier. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yes. It's it's a diagnostic thing. It's a diagnostic thing, and you don't necessarily need to be diagnosed. What about? It's unlikely that it would be something serious that I would die from, right? As Elizabeth Kubler Ross said, we all have an expiration date. Yeah. Do you get the feeling that this is something that is threatening to you? No. Oh, I I don't know. It's annoying. And they say it's unusual. 
That's mm-hmm. why they want to send me to a specialist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you spent any time asking your body what's going on? Um, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I think partly it could be extreme stress and trauma. Yeah. Induced. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm picking up something like that too. Like this. Um, the words that I'm getting are bad news. Bad news? That there, that there was something you did not want to hear. Okay. Like from a family member. Is that what you mean? Or I'm not sure who it, who it was from. Maybe it was even from yourself. But there's some... The image is like somebody, you know, tilting their head over and raising their shoulder up, kind of like, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to hear you kind of image, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, Right. And if you say, hey, yeah, absolutely, you know, if they find like a tumor in there that's pressing on my, you know, my ear, then I'm just going to, if they have to like, you know, cut my ear off to go in there and get rid of the tumor, then I'm going for it. Then, then by all means, get the MRI. But high-tech diagnosis leads to high-tech treatments. Lead to, sorry? High-tech diagnosis leads to high-tech treatments. Oh, okay. These are not benign diagnostic aids. Mm -hmm. No. So... Certainly they're worthwhile having, and they're worthwhile having if we're going to, you know, follow up in the way that modern medicine would have us, but not all of us are going to do that. Yeah. What would you do? I would If you had spend, tinnitus. Would, yeah. I would definitely spend time with myself. And if that meant that I needed to, like, take some time off to really go and be with myself, I would do that so that I would have a clear and spacious place to hear from myself in. And I have never failed to have like you did with your breast cancer diagnosis, the path laid out very clearly before me. Mm-hmm. If somebody were to say to you, well, why did you do that, or why did you do that, I suspect that your answer would be, somebody brought it to me. I opened the book, and there it was. Yeah. Yeah, right? you appeared. <laughs> you appeared. Yes. That's true. What you need is going to appear before you. You have to have the wherewithal to go for it, take it, accept it, do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't don't know what that is. That might be, yeah, you know, there's something in, in there that needs to be removed, or that might be there's some stress that I need to. Really, um, look at my relationship to. 
I've been beaten down over the years by family members and children, adult children, and uh, I feel kind of meaningless right now. You know, like the spark of life, you know? You don't... I hear you. You lose that spark. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that might be so perhaps, part of that. Perhaps that time alone will help you find where that spark is, because it doesn't go away. It goes mm-hmm. underground, but it doesn't go away. Okay. And you have to be willing to dive deep enough to find it. Any any tools, herbal tools, <laughs> anything that? Well, you know the classic herbal tools are psilocybin, LSD. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would they would have to be guided. <laughs> Couldn't I, do I, that on my own. I do, and I, I I do support you in in seeking guidance for that. But that, but those are the primary herbal tools for that kind of deep diving. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Um, would you would you still see the specialist, though? I tend not to see specialists. But again, nope. it's you know, it's your body. You are the one who really has to be living in your body and say, "Body, do we want to go off to this specialist here? Mm-hmm. Do you want this help?" Or is this going to be something that's just going to, you know, push us around and make us feel even worse about ourselves? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, then I, I'm afraid if I don't go. Well, you know, how do you deal with that fear? Mother word. Okay. Yeah, I know, motherwort. Motherwort and the reminder that, of course, I'm going to die. Is today a good day to die? What haven't I done? Yeah. If this was a tumor that was going to kill me in two weeks, what would I need to do? Yeah, not much. (laughs) All right, you're in a great place. Yeah. Yeah, but I got responsibilities. A little Down syndrome fellow who's sitting here with me. <clears throat> um, my youngest son. Yeah. I understand. Mm-hmm. How old is but he now? He's fourteen. Oh, he's nonverbal, but he signs. And... <laughs> yeah. They're well, also. What, what's his name? Go ahead. What is Samuel. his name? Sammy. Samuel. Samuel. I was just yeah. reading Vicki Noble's newsletter about her Down syndrome son who's actually in his 30s now and had a, a house, uh, a group home. Oh. And he's doing well? Extremely well. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, because that, once, I, once puberty hit, it was not so easy anymore. Yeah. 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 Um yeah. At He's any a sweetheart. Rate, but he, much yeah. as I'm enjoying talking to you, I, yeah, should, I should let you go. Bye and find out from Rebecca how many people I have to talk to in the next seven minutes. 
Oh, dear. Okay. I'll let you go. Thank you so much, Susan. And uh, I I might call you next week about Sammy. Green blessings. I hope so. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, we are going to have to let – we have five callers still, so – or six callers, actually. It's another person. If you you this week, please call next week. The next caller is coming from the 443 area code. Hello. All right. Maybe we'll go to the next one here, I think. Uh, Next caller, 917 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Um, I was just calling because I've been experiencing um, a lot of anxiety lately, and I feel like motherwort isn't helping, and I wanted to call for more ideas. Yes. Do you have an anxious book? An anxious book? Yeah. No, I don't. A book where you write down your anxious thoughts. That's a good idea. I should try that. And here's the deal. Once you write down an anxious thought in your anxious book, you're not allowed to think it anymore. I feel like some of the anxiety isn't thoughts. It's just like this feeling, like heavy feeling on my chest. And I wake up in the middle of the night with it and I can't get to sleep. I hear you. You wake up in the middle of the night with a heavy feeling on your chest. And that, for you, is anxiety. Yeah. There are herbs that help open up the breathing. And perhaps one of them might help you if you keep some of it by your bed and take it when you wake up in the middle of the night. You could have a cup of mullein infusion or mullein milk sitting there or you could try a few drops of mullein leaf tincture okay or you could try a few drops of elecampane tincture it doesn't feel like something in my lungs it feels like something I don't it feels more emotional I think well, that means thoughts. Yeah. I guess I just don't I was just know going with, I was just going with your denial and playing it along. <laughs> <laughs> but underneath that heavy feeling, there are heavy thoughts, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah, there are. So put them in your anxiety book, and then you're not allowed to think them anymore. And when you wake up in the middle of the night with that heavy feeling, you say, Be gone! Be gone. I do not allow you to be here anymore. Okay. And you take some tincture. And whether that tincture has an emotional effect or a psychic effect or an actual physical effect doesn't really matter, does it? Right. I'll try it. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank <laughs> you. Could I ask you... Um, also, also, just make a suggestion of using some sort, yeah. sort of sort of sound therapy. Like, I know that um, like the the crystals that I have have been really useful for people that are experiencing um, 
anxiety, like maybe you'd want to get one and, and like start like just resonating with sound and like playing with that or even just like mantra work too. What kind of suggestion? Thank you, Rebecca. Say it again. What kind of bowl? Like a singing bowl or a um, singing bowl? Or um, like a Tibetan uh, metal bowl. Okay. But there's all kinds of different sound instruments, like songs as well, like anything like that, or just like getting into a space of like resonating with sound, I find is really helpful. And breathing, like trying some pranayama. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Yes, when when Mm -hmm. Prima Children was talking about the the decades when she was so exhausted that she couldn't do anything, she said, but I could meditate and I could hum. Mm -hmm. So those those things are always available to us. I will try. I find like when I get out in nature because nature really helps me with like you know have that heavy anxious feeling, you know like being having it in my house is like really important for me to like be able to change kind of you know like alchemize or something with the energy in my house to one of a you know a different like when it gets really intense with my kids and stuff like that. So it helps everybody. Thanks for calling, Green Blessings. And like a call drop. And a big welcome to Lucinda Herring. She has worked at the cutting edge of the Green Funeral Movement for more than 20 years, beginning with others in the 1990s to quietly care for loved ones after death. Today, she is one of the leading voices for a more healing and ecological way to care for our dead. She is a home funeral green disposition consultant and guide, an interfaith minister, and a licensed funeral director in the state of Washington. Lucinda speaks regularly about her work and through her company, Limina Thresholds Consulting and Ministry, she offers advanced after-death planning, home funeral green disposition education and training and celebrant ministerial services for families and communities who are reclaiming their innate right to care for each other and the earth right through to the end of life. Lucinda is also a storyteller and a festival maker, committed to bringing art, beauty, ritual, and celebration to all of life's thresholds. Lucinda Herring lives on an island in the Puget Sound amongst people who love exploring and creating new paradigms and ways of being that can be of service to all. Welcome to the show, Lucinda. Thank you, Susan. I'm really happy to be here talking to you. You're one of my um, heroines and mentors. Thank you. Louisa Tish said that we shouldn't call each other heroines. She said heroines, what you shoot in your arm. She said Hera. Uh-huh. I like Hero that. Hera, right? The A ending is girl. Yes. So we're thank each you. other's Heras. I love it. <laughs> and yes, Heracles, uh, sometimes uh, Englishized to Hercules, means the lover of Hera. Uh-huh. Wow. And I am yeah. so excited that you're on the show because green funerals are it's something that is very, very close to my heart but far away from my life. You know, one can only do so many things in the hours that we get every single day. So I have avidly 
um, you know, been been cheering everybody on from the sidelines who is pushing forward the agenda of giving us the right to actually return to the earth. How did how did you come to want to be involved in greening death? Oh my goodness, it's a good question. Um, I think really the heart of my choosing this is my love of the earth. That could, you, could you say more about that? Uh, perhaps, perhaps you even want to uh, be specific. I, you know, most people don't really think about it at all. I, I often, you know, talk about. My mom said, "Well, she wanted to be cremated when she died," and I didn't really think about it at all. I just went along with what she wanted, and then, right. you know, yeah. like after the fact, like I was so dissatisfied, I was so unhappy. I thought, well, if I had to do over on that, I would have really argued with her. Right. I was, yeah. Wait, I don't want to be like thrown out of the room with your body and have it whisked away and then, then get some ashes from a messenger. Right. And that's what most of us, you know, are experiencing um, in the funeral industry today. And so my work and other women's work, it's really a lot women who are leading the way in this green funeral work and reclaiming the right to care for our own dead and and really um, discover new ways, which are old ways, to be more natural and instinctive when we die and how we care for each other and our bodies after death. Um, mm. I, so I, I was saying that I was getting into it, you know, because I love the natural world and the earth. Um, I also have just always wanted to do things naturally and um, we are not doing death naturally in within the funeral industry. But I would say that we're reclaiming this and the movement is growing um, everywhere. And it's very heartening in the 20 years that I've been working in this field, the interest in caring for our own dead and having vigils after death and going back to natural burial and, um, I'm I'm in Seattle where or I'm I'm on Whidbey Island north of Seattle, where this wonderful new vision called Recompose. We're going to be composting human bodies and creating a cubic yard of of compost that can be used to fertilize urban the green spaces in urban areas or in your own garden and. That's just been passed by the legislature in Washington. So we're going to be the first in the world to be doing that. So, you know, the movement is emerging in wonderfully creative and life, life-giving life ways, life-giving ways to death, which is bringing it full circle. When bodies are prepared... In the modern way, they are embalmed and then put in a casket and then buried. What happens then? Yeah, so I would say that that I would now call that the conventional way and that it's, you know, a lot of people who go to funeral homes, they think that that is what you have to do. That's actually the law. And it's I, I want to say very clearly that it's not the law anywhere. 
and that embalming is not something that you have to do legally. It's something that the funeral industry and funeral homes suggest and and say is their policy, particularly if you're going to have a viewing at the funeral home. They do so for liability reasons. They also do so because funeral directors are trained to think that embalming is the right thing to do for a dead body. Um, but in fact, it's not, in my mind, the right thing to do at all. It's very invasive to uh, the body, and it's very toxic. And you know, you're you're in, filled with formaldehyde and different um, chemicals that are terrible for the earth when you're buried, and also terrible for the funeral directors who are embalming the bodies. It's just a policy. It's a practice that we've we need to really look at. And that's what uh, we've been doing in the green funeral movement. And what I wrote about in my book, reimagining death. So embalming is not the law of the land. No, you are not. You are not required in any state in the United States to embalm the dead body of your friend, lover, family member, whoever you are in charge of dealing with this dead body. Um, right. There are, you there are can say laws. no to embalming and still have the person buried. For instance, my sweetheart, Fern, when she died near Austin, Texas, the rosemary bush that she had grown for a great many years was cut down, and she was surrounded by rosemary for the two days that people came to see her. Yes, how wonderful. Yes, and that, that acted as a natural antioxidant. I wouldn't say embalmer because it didn't really embalm her, but it, it kept her smelling nice. Yes. That's a that's a beautiful story. I love imagining her surrounded by her own rosemary. That's just so beautiful. And that's what we've been doing, you know, with these vigils after death is um, having enough time and space to be creative and to do things for the person who's died that are in alignment with who that person is and who they were in life. And it's so nourishing and healing to be able to do this care of the dead ourselves rather than immediately calling a funeral director and having them whisk the body away. And, you know, if you have cremation, as you were speaking about, Susan, then you never see that person again and you receive their ashes back. And um, as a funeral director, I've worked as an alternative for funeral director only, but as an alternative funeral director, I've seen how difficult it is for families, there's an unresolved grief in not having enough time at the time of death, enough time to say goodbye. And so this green funeral movement, which is the home funeral movement and the natural burial movement that I'm involved in, are, you know, we're really saying let's take time and let's remember this sacred space sacred time between the moment of death and final disposition in our western world we've we've forgotten 
that gap time, that time out of time. That time out of time, that time that many cultures believe that the spirit still lingers. That's right, yes. And in my experience, being at these vigils now for 20 years, it's definitely my experience that the spirit lingers. I mean, each person obviously is individual and their journey is individual. Um, My mother, who died of breast cancer, her dissolution, her body was so much before her death that I felt her spirit left fairly quickly afterwards. I write about that in my book. Um, But then, you know, others need... Three, the three days, the traditional three days, definitely. And it's, it's um, if we have time to really study and listen deeply to what's happening for a person once they die, then you know we can still track what's happening with that consciousness. And the three day vigil deeply supports the spirit having enough time to leave the body in peaceful and good ways. Even if it's not Finnegan's wake. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Even if, yes. There's always that hope, you know. But the next round of whiskey will bring them back to life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So let's see. After a couple of days, Fern's body, Rosemary and all, was put into a pine box, and that mm-hmm. pine and that pine box was taken to a green cemetery there in Texas, where it was legal to bury her um, unembalmed body. Yes, was it Eloise Woods? That that. Um conservation burial ground? Do you remember I, the name of it? I think, I think it was. I, I'm not yeah. absolutely certain, but I think so. Mm-hmm. There's, I have some pictures in my book from her, her the Elo- Eloise Woods Natural Burial Ground. There's some uh, wonderful pictures in my book of, um, of Eloise Woods. Her mother simply wrapped in a quilt and in a very shallow grave and with everyone, you know, around the grave and um, reading notes and poems to her. And it's quite, quite beautiful. And this is what we can do with a natural burial. And you have a whole chapter in your book about this. Yes, I do. With beautiful, beautiful pictures. Yes. I wanted to have the pictures so that people could experience, you know, through looking at the color photographs, how you can, we can bring life and beauty and color and richness and life forces to, to death itself and weave the death, death and life together. You see the, the people of all ages working together on, on the, the, The recomposing of the person, and I really love that word that you're using, Lucinda, because it is a recomposing there. You know, we see the bodies, you know, lying there, and we see the living people busily doing things in your photographs. Yes, that's right. And how how perfect that is. 
It is. It's full full cycle, and it it has um, a wonderfully healing um, energy, you know, for for people who are grieving so deeply and are in shock. And um, I've I've watched how people relax and kind of come back to themselves in being able to care for their loved one in these ways. Yes. Yes, to have that time where you finally do get to remember everything you wanted to say. Yes, <laughs> and and say it because they might still be listening. <laughs> Indeed, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Does everybody so we, live in a state where there's a burial ground like that? You know, almost entirely. The, um the funeral industry has bought up a lot of cemeteries across the country and had installed policies that require cement vaults, that require um, steel gasketed, not require, but suggest highly that you have a steel gasketed casket. And, um, you know, this is the way that conventional burial is done now. So having a natural burial is not as easy as one would think because it's not possible in those cemeteries where funeral homes don't support green burial or it's not their policy to have natural burial. So natural burial means you don't have the cement vault, which is put in the ground before the casket is put in the cement vault, and then the top is put on um, the cement vault. That is a conventional way. A natural burial, you would just dig a grave, and you, you would dig that grave more shallowly than a conventional burial because the um, anaerobic and insect life and decomposition happens more rapidly and effectively at about three and a half to four feet rather than the traditional six feet. So a natural burial is dug more shallowly, and then a body, a person is placed in, in a natural grave in a biodegradable container of some kind or just a shroud, a natural biodegradable shroud. Um, so that times are changing, and the funeral industry realizes that more and more people are going to choose these natural burials. So, you know, they're, they're opening their awareness to the fact that they need to make natural burial more available in cemeteries. And so things are slowly changing. But it's it's difficult sometimes to find a natural burial ground near you. Even though there might be one in your state, it might be three or four hours away. Yeah. So hopefully that, that's going to be changing. But it's still the situation right now. Well, thank you for that, for really uh, treading before us and breaking the ground and helping everyone to come closer to that. I had uh, a very dear friend who uh, was 135 days from finding a lump in her breast of being dead. It's oh, goodness. Stunningly fast. And uh, she was able in that 135 days to pull off a green burial. Uh-huh. <laughs> green, uh, lives in Ithaca, yeah. lived in Ithaca, New York. Uh-huh. And apparently there is a green burial site somewhere near to there. Yeah. I was 
astonished that it was legal in New York State. I kind of think of New York State as being a bit curmudgeonly about those things. Right. New York, the funeral industry, the funeral directors, it's kind of the, the bastion of the old guard of <laughs> funeral directors <laughs> in New York. Um, but there are also people because of that, I think, you know, who are working very hard to bring these other alternatives to the foreground. And luckily, forming natural burial grounds, green burial grounds, and conservation burial grounds is not under the auspices of the funeral industry. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) That's why your friend could find one. So I'm so glad about that. Tell us more about how we can get a copy of Reimagining Death Stories and Practical Wisdom for Home Funerals and Green Burials with a foreword by David Spangler. Okay. Um, Well, it's it's probably in your local independent bookstore. I always want to put a plug in for going to your local independent bookstore. Um, Library Journal picked it up, so it's in a lot of libraries across the country and in Canada, which is really exciting to me. And it can be... um, Yes, just what we need. All right. Yes, yes, it's really exciting. And Publishers Weekly picked it up also. So it's, you know, it has a life of its own, and it's going out there in, in wonderful ways that I wasn't expecting, really. And I think it's because the time has come and everyone is really interested in in reimagining how we're doing death. So you can also buy it at the Penguin Random House website, North Atlantic Books, the publisher's website, Amazon, Amazon last. (laughs) But Amazon, uh, you can buy it there. And then on my own website, I'm selling them as well because I make a greater – profit from it if I sell them also myself. So my website is www.lucindaherring.com. And That's Lucinda, the light bearer, L-U-C-I-N-D-A, and herring like the fish. Yes. But, um, That's right, the light-bearing fish. <laughs> the light-bearing fish, exactly. I see one of those anglerfish dangling its light in front of its mouth, right? <laughs> Uh, oh my goodness so what haven't I asked you that you really want to talk about Um, paint a picture of a home vigil that is one you know that has really worked I, I write about one in my book that really worked well um, where I think I'll just tell that story where a friend of mine here in my community on Whidbey was, um, he actually, first of all, had a, a seizure in a men's circle. He was in a, a men's circle with a matrix. And he had a seizure, which was the first one of several because he had a brain tumor. And he ended up dying of that brain tumor. And the men who loved him in that sacred circle of his came from all over the country to be with him at his death and they were in ceremony and a a wonderful ray of sunlight came down on the casket they had built the casket themselves and this ray of sunlight came down on the casket and that was the very moment that glenn 
took his last breath. And we just kept going with, with that sacred um, care of him, and we kept him at home for three days, and his wife and his children were able to um, bathe him and dress him and talk about how much they loved him. And a coyote came outside the window as, as they were um, laughing and, and telling stories around his body. And the house filled up with many people who loved him. Their children were at a Waldorf school. And so the children painted the top of the casket that the men had built and um, you know there was good food and everyone could just be themselves and express all the emotions they wanted laughing crying sobbing Um, there were lots of children there and children would just run up to Glenn and touch his hands and you know they were naturally curious about um, him being dead and there was very little fear and I think that was because there was no fear in the adults and it was just accepted that death was a part of life and um, yeah I it was a wonderful one it was one of my first home vigils that I helped with and it's always stayed in part as what's possible um, I, it was how shall I say it was it was there was a wholeness a deep wholeness that people could be themselves and Glenn was surrounded by so much beauty and that that beauty like the rosemary around fern your friend your 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 yes. love yes yeah yeah, the you, creation of beauty, being able to create beauty and then to experience beauty in the face of the starkness of death was just so healing and it was uh, a wholeness that has made me quite passionate about the work, you know, to have more and more people experience this again when someone they love dies. Yes, in your book you call the funeral vigils greening the gateway of death. It's such a beautiful turn of phrase. Yes. Um, I think that's because I experienced it that way, Susan. I experienced that the greenness of life, you know, which you're so connected with, um, are to the very threshold of death, to, you know, all that death brings, the starkness of that and the shock of that and, you know, how people always want to bring, oh, they bring flowers, like if someone has died on the side of the road, right, in a car crash, there'll be hundreds of flowers brought there. And it's just our natural instinct to to green the place where death has happened, I think. And so that's why I called it greening the gateway of death. And that greening is, comes in so many different ways, like, you know, bringing um, flowers and um, lining the casket with ferns and, and evergreen and uh, singing. and Being alive. All of Be, being, it. Being, to me, what you're really talking about is the opportunity to be alive, to be alive and to to be in 
the knowing of that person from a position of aliveness. And that's that, right. That so much of um, the normative funeral is to to somehow drink a cup of death. Yes, it is. I mean, when you think about what it feels like in a lot of funeral homes, I mean, I know funeral directors are doing wonderful jobs and, you know, in their own right and their hearts are in the right place. But the buildings and even when you walk in and, and you know, if you're there for a visitation, there's quite a sterile atmosphere and because they want it to be neutral, I think, you know, for people of different faiths to feel comfortable in the space. So it, it ends up being so neutral and and devoid of life, devoid of life forces. And I think, you know, people don't feel comfortable to be there alive. Yes, we need the children. We need the children running about and being curious. We need it all we need when someone close close to us dies to be reassured that life still goes on yes and it's wonderful to watch children because they accept death and often so much more easily than the adults um and that's a teaching in itself you know it's the the multi-generational aspect of a vigil where all ages of human beings are there handling and caring for the dead is is quite um, a gift. This is Susan Weed talking with Lucinda Herring, the uh, author of Reimagining Death and the thought field behind the Green Funeral movement and greening the gateway of death, just all kinds of things that you really need to know about. So get her book, go to her website, lucindaherring.com, and we come to that magical last minute of the show where I ask you, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody listening to you tonight, Lucinda Herring? I would wish all of us to learn how to partner and co-create with nature and the intelligence of nature at the threshold of death, and in doing so, you will be most deeply supported in being able to cope with loss and grief and bring death back into life. Bring death back into life and life back into death. What an important message Um, as we move past the grief of losing so much of Notre Dame and moving into Easter weekend. Um, Talking to you and sharing this, I, I love it. Thank you so much, Susan. And thank you so much as well, Lucinda Herring. Thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And I always say that I was uh, part of it when Elizabeth Kubler-Ross put death on the map, and I'm so happy to know you while you're putting dying uh, and burial back on the map as well, part of the natural process of life. Green blessings, everybody. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Herbal medicine, people's medicine. Yee-hee. 
Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Thank you.